Listener Production. This is From Zero, conversations with business founders. I'm Adam Schwab, founder of LuxuryEscapes.com, financial journalist, author, and angel investor. With my best mate from school, we co-founded Luxury Escapes, and the business has grown to turn over almost a billion dollars annually. People ask me all the time how we started the business. And now I want to turn the tables. In this episode, I speak with Anthony Zachariah, co-founder of the global LinkedIn bio giant, Linktree. Anthony Zachariah grew up in the northern suburbs of Melbourne in a big, bustling Italian family. Having migrated from Calabria in the 1930s, Anthony's grandfather became a pivotal member of Melbourne's burgeoning music scene. He set up a music label to import Italian records to Australia and managed several bands in the early stages of their careers. When they were kids, Anthony and his brother Alex would work with their grandfather, helping out at the repair shop, moving stock, or delivering instruments for shows. At the time, they complained about the hours they had to work. But now, Anthony looks back on his family's work ethic and attitude and how it helped him instill lifelong values. My nonno, he was quite entrepreneurial and, and definitely an inspiration for us. And uh, he had an amazing work ethic and amazing commitment to family at the same time where might be going to nonna's and it's like, oh, where's nonna? Oh, he's already gone to work. I'm like, oh, it's, you know, I might go before school at 8, 7 a.m. He's already gone to work. Hearing those stories growing up, you definitely identify and, and put the value on the nothing comes easy and the, and the, the work ethic that comes along, along with that. Um, I want to instill similar level of respect and um, ritual around family and, and that because that's what you create memories around. And I think back around Friday night pizza night and like that was, that was the best. Every Friday night after school, going to Nonna's house, having pizza with all my cousins, it was awesome. After finishing school, Anthony moved to Sydney to take a part-time role in the music industry at a marketing company called Sound Alliance. There, he found he could knuckle down and form industry connections beyond the ones he had built in his grandfather's business. It was a valuable experience. And after three years at Sound Alliance, handling that digital marketing, Anthony, for the first time in his life, stepped away from the safety of a company and into a solo venture. I left there, yeah, about 2011. Family business was in musical instruments. So I always grew up working around artists. You know, I, I did some work through uni in the family business, you know, marketing and artist relations and, you know, dealing with artists and managers and stuff along that journey. And then... Same thing working at Sound Alliance. There was a lot of uh, a lot of the clients and and you know circle that you're working within um, are all similar people, managers, bands directly, labels, and you get to you just just seeing the journey of artists and from 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 the ground up from taking off through to you know the kind of see you see like a touring strategy build up or like a record release strategy build through those through that year. And you see how an artist goes from like one single as nobody knowing them through to you know, selling out whatever kind of level of room. And you just kind of start to identify these trends and strategies. And I think I'm going to give this a crack with a band, find a band that, that is trying to do their thing. I know I've got relationships. I know I've got the skill set. Um, I had a, a plenty of ideas of how to build and market a band and all that kind of stuff. So I found a band that I loved and, um, you know, it literally just hit them up on MySpace, right? It was like, I love what you guys are doing and put together this whole strategy for them. And we 
just hit it off and went from there. And um, uh, at the same time, I started managing them and maybe one other. And Alex was in Melbourne and he was running parties, club nights, and also managing DJs that would come through on his parties and started managing DJs at the same time. And so we kind of went, hang on a second, we're both doing the same thing. Why don't we just do this together? Alex is always a little more like a little more technical than me. I'm a little bit more of like relationships, commercial, and Alex is a little more on the technical side. And I think just because knowing the space so intimately that the the consumer journey for music is so fragmented, right? Like as a promoter, as a promoter, say, you know, um, Live Nation, Chuck Entertainment, Frontier Touring, whoever, they, they're touring a band. That band could be playing in five different venues and it could have anywhere between three and five different ticketing outlets, right? And so how you marry up that, what you're spending and what it's converting to ticket sale wise is, was really hard, you know, like conversion tracking for that was just non-existent, right? Like I send people to my website and then I send them to maybe Ticketmaster, Ticketek, Moshtix, and, and any other ticketing platforms. How do I know that every thousand dollars I spend is converting to tickets or what is and isn't working? Normal D to C businesses, you know that you own the journey in the funnel. It's re- it was really hard in music. And so we, we were like, hang on, there's going to be a way to do this. And we, we figured it out. We, we built relationships with the ticketing platforms and we figured out how to run conversion tracking and set up all you know, pixel management um, for, for these clients. Um, and built, set out just to build this. And that's why the name of it was called Bolster. It was all about like you know, supporting. We were a support plugin for marketing teams at record labels, festivals, and you know, music companies, because those teams are s- often small and often under resourced. Particularly back then, it's, it's a little different now, but and they often balloon at certain times a year through peak season. And so, um, having to like scale a team that was an expert at just performance marketing, expert at how to get the best out of YouTube or Google or Facebook, you know, that was like that having to hire a bunch of teams. They don't have that weren't able to have that headcount. And so, we built a model, a finance model that worked how. Music industry work. It wasn't like a traditional media agency of charging 20, 20% of spend. That's just archaic. It was about the work and project fees, right? No matter what budget, we're going to deliver the work for you and be your team. There's a retainer model or whatever. And we, we had a few different versions of it, which our finance team hated us for, but it was custom built to the industry. And so, yeah, I think it was just about knowing the market, knowing the, the, the landscape that was happening outside of the music industry around, you know, e-commerce and retargeting and all that stuff that was really taking off. And then, um, just digging in and figuring out a lot of late nights, you know, weekends doing our own AdWords courses, figuring it out basically. By 2015, Anthony and Alex had grown Bolster into an industry-leading marketing company. Their team had expanded to around 20 people and they were working across a range of web and social platforms to advertise for their clients. One of those platforms, which was still in its infancy, was Instagram. marketers. Instagram was a dream. It had incredible organic reach and was easy to use, allowing savvy marketers to promote visual, audio and audience assets without seeming outwardly commercial. Bolster's role was to build the external sites, which house merchandise sales, tickets and songs, and then drive people to them. They'd do this by providing a link that would be housed in Instagram bios, allowing fans to quickly click through. Bolster's clients had a problem though. Instagram would only allow users to have one link in their bio. So if you wanted to send a fan to buy merchandise, they couldn't also have a link to sell concert tickets. 
that was an issue that quickly needed a solution. Alex and I were sitting next to each other and I think I was like, you know, there's got to be an effing better way to do this. And Alex was just like, yeah, like, like there's got to be something here. And then I think it just kind of clicked. It's like, what if there's just like a way that a bunch of other links appeared? Like, yeah, it's like one link. Like, yeah, like, okay. And turned around to Mike, the developer, was like, hey, Mike, do you reckon if you can like have a link? I mean, you could like link a bunch of other links appear that all go to different places. He's like, oh, yeah. Talked it through a little bit. The next day, it was probably, yeah, maybe six, eight hours later, he had a, had a sort of MVP prototype of it. Um, and it, it went from there. I was like, oh, yeah, that's it. Okay, well, how do we get people to use it now? How do we build a bit of a CMS? Or how do we build like a login system? And um, it, was, it wasn't, it was really to solve a problem for ourselves. Like, let's use it for our clients, um, get them using it and away. It was also like, it was around the time that the Instagram algorithm had changed from chronological to algorithmic. And so that meant that the post you see in your feed was no longer relevant to the link in the bio people were talking about. That was early 2016. And um, we just iterated on bit by bit through that year, you know, built a little signing system, a few few signups a day was starting to trickle in, which people would be obviously seeing because the Linktree logo was on all of the profiles. And then I think it kind of, like, oh, wow, people are signing up. This is cool. All right. That's a lot. Of, and a lot of people are using a lot of artists. Like, okay, cool. We're seeing a, a this is great. It makes sense. Yeah. Musicians because the, the, the value chain in music is so fragmented. Um, kind of like what I touched on before with, with touring, it's the same thing. Your streaming's in one spot, your ticketing, your merch, they're all in different locations. So how do you like consolidate all of that across social media for, for musicians and artists? And then I think it was, I can't remember how far into that, but the first user that signed up that was non-music or entertainment related was the Melbourne City Council. And that was like, ah, wow, what are they? Why? What? And they're like, oh, of course, they're, everything they're doing is fragmented too. Hang on, every the whole internet is fragmented. This is not just a music industry problem. This is like an internet-wide issue across the board. Um, so yeah, it was like it was pretty wild. Like pennies just started dropping month by month in that first year. So how long before the sort of favorite children switched and, and before Linktree started getting real traction? It was yeah, very much a side hustle for for. The whole, like a lot of the journey really probably till about 2019 and we'd, we'd had a, I think five to ten people in the Linktree team through that year and um, all mostly all devs and, and, and one guy in, in creative partnerships in the US but it was all mostly devs really and um, it was yeah probably took until that, that 2019 through 2019 we made a call We're like alright we need to focus on this a whole bunch more because like we were bootstrapped and profitable and we're just reinvesting the profits back into the you know infrastructure servers and hiring. We often thought of like you know a new chunk of MRR increased. Cool, we can hire another developer now. Great, there's confidence. About, let's do that. And so, um, yeah, so we did during that 2019 period where we made a call. And we're like, all right, we kind of got to figure out which way to go here. Alex, you focus on Linktree. I'll focus on the agency. Um, for this year, and then we'll figure it out from there. Like, and it was kind of 80 20. I did eight, maybe more, 70 30, right? Each, each responsibility on each business so that he could spend 70% of his time on Linktree and, and focus on that. It was then towards the, yeah, the end of that 2019 period, we had a, uh, um, like a, an offsite with a bunch of bolster and Linktree together. We did a lot of things together. We kind of like, we've got to kind of separate this out now, actually. Um, and during then that period, it went like, all right, there's, 
there's interest now. Like we had an acquisition offer through 2019, some venture capital interest started appearing. Um, and that's when it was like, all right, this is like we're on, you know, into the couple million users mark. This is not messing around anymore. We need to like, you know, quadruple down on this. Linktree was growing at an incredible rate. It now had over 8 million users and was used by global superstars like Selena Gomez and Alicia Keys, as well as huge brands like Red Bull. The idea was simple, but was now being described as a game changer for musicians and artists across the world. But while their user count was growing and sentiment was positive, Anthony and the team started to encounter new issues. Get a lot of requests from users for features and is that finding that balance between like building to the vision and building everything your user wants. We really focused on the problem and solving that and being true to that, not trying to do all things and be all things to all people. There's a lot of, um, you know, a lot of temptation there to, to do that when you, um, and obviously we listen to a lot of user feedback along the way to help, you know, build a, a lot of the feature sets and, and what was in the paid version of the product was obviously all on like what user wanted, users wanted, but, um, we had somebody helping build relationships with those those key users in the US and that helped a lot as well. But ultimately it was the fact that there was a need for that product. There was lots of different, you know, influencers, you know, celebrities, but also big businesses like Red Bull that all had the same problem no matter what. It was all, you know, my stuff lives everywhere, my audience lives everywhere. How do I consolidate this in a simple form? But it's quite funny whenever we've done an announcement, like a raise announcement or something, and you see some chat out there in like Twitter and LinkedIn threads, it's like, good on them, this is great, you know, and then the other, the tall poppy thing being like, I don't get it, it's just a list of links. Anyone can build that. It's just a website replacement. Is everyone going to build a website? I can just do it on WordPress, like whatever. And it's like, yeah, you, you could, but you're kind of missing the point that like we've democratized getting online for a lot of people. Like a lot of people don't know how to make a WordPress or a Squarespace and they can set up a link for free in under a minute. And that's that's who you are online. That's the stuff, I, that's, that's that's where I put my all my stuff that I care about, what's important, recent, relevant to me. And that's sort of, that's a big part of it. That was always a big core piece. It's like, don't always just go finding that balance of like, yes, the the big end of town use it and we need to solve for them, but we also need to solve for the little guy who's just getting aligned or just starting out. And it's always been a big, big piece of it is this democratization piece. And um, especially around the simplicity of the UX of the product, right? We want to build trust in the product. So when you land on a link tree, you know you're on a link tree. It's a list of links, the design, the format of it. And now it's like it's been copycatted a hundred times, right? We, we, nothing existed when we built it. Um, and now you see it's, it's in some ways it's become a category now. And you'll often see people like, check out my link tree. And it's not a link tree. Um, but, but it was always very important to us to know to like just, you know, there's always temptation to like add images and videos and turn it into a MySpace. But like, no UX is the best UX. Keep it as simple as possible. And obviously it's iterated a lot since then. And there's, and we're, we're pushing the boundaries a little bit on it and how you customize the profile. But ultimately, you know, when you land all these links, you're on a link tree. And that was a big part of it as well, building that trust in reputation. Your first, I think you called it Series A, was in 2020 and you had Index Ventures in there and who's one of the most respected VCs globally. Airtree is one of the most respected Australian VCs in there. Were people by that stage really knocking on your door hard or do you, you out sort of hustling to raise or were you sort of just... just Citing who to take money from by this point. Yeah, it was a bit of both. So we had, had a fair bit of interest and we had a couple of offers and term sheets early on. And Alex, this was like, like 
Feb 2020, I think it was. And Alex went to the U. Alex and Nikki went to the US, and I stayed. Um, I was I stayed home to, you know, whatever. Stay on the ground, keep the shit. And my, and my wife and I, my wife just fell pregnant at that point too. It's so like, all right, you guys go to the US. I just got back from overseas. You guys go. I'll stay man the fort. And so um, went and met a few VCs, a few of the ones we were talking to, and then had to come back on like the last flight out of LA as, as the borders were closing, and um, it really spiraled from there because the word kind of got out that we're raising we'd had term sheets and next you know other people getting interested and other people introduced to other people and it kind of yeah we ended up closing that series a which was 10 or 11 million dollar raise and then we're pretty much preempted very soon after that for the for the next raise which was which was 45 million so we kind of raised very a second round very very quickly that's when we bought on bought on co2 management as well i know you talked about it briefly before but you've got a couple of I guess you call competitors in, in, in Squarespace and Wix. And, and you guys are essentially in many ways a, a super optimized website creator. Were you surprised one of those guys never came after you? Yeah. So, yeah, I think we would, yeah, we, we sort of almost see, yeah, that that's the bigger into town and competitorship. And then there's like the direct competitors from other Lincoln Bio products. Um, we kind of sit somewhere in the middle. I think, yes, like Squarespace do have a, have a product now. They acquired another business that is linking by a product, a micro website builder essentially. So they're in the space now. Um, and it was always a case of like, you know, probably not if but when that would happen um, as they need, need new other revenue sources and, you know, growth drivers, particularly as, as listed businesses. So not too worried because it's not their core business. Like we know we can be the best link in bio product there is. Uh, and that's what we do. So we started, that's what we're just solving that problem for as opposed to kind of having four or five different interests as a business. So obviously we keep one eye on the competitive landscape, but, um, and there's some other, there's people doing some interesting things out there, but there's always, you know, if we, if we spend a lot of time just trying to squat a competitor, it, it becomes a bit of a race to the bottom, you know? And it's like, we've got a pretty big vision. We just want to focus on that. Otherwise, yeah, we'll kind of be going in circles. It's easy to get swept up in it. Like, oh, this thing looks long as they just ripped us off. Oh, this thing just happened. And they just, they introduced this feature. Why haven't we done that? Let's do it quickly. And it just becomes a rat race. Founders like Anthony, who are focused on their own company's growth, aren't always common, especially when there are so many imitators copying their product. With Linktree's model, where it's idea-driven from the start, and then execution-driven further down the line. You have to be constantly changing and evolving the business, which, unfortunately, is a very easy way to burn through cash. Focusing on user acquisition and funding can mean the greater question of profitability and revenue generation isn't being asked enough. So how is Linktree performing from a revenue perspective? And how are they making their millions? We don't disclose revenue yet, but you know, 24 million users. Where our team is, we were we were about 20 before the pandemic. We're about 260 now um, around the world, and mostly in Australia. But we've got we've got quite a few folks in the US and, and a few other markets as well. Um, yeah, we're growing at about 30 to 40 thousand users a day still, and majority are on the on you know free, but a, a, a good a, you know a portion of them of them pay that that is driving our our recurring revenue. We started charging for Linktree. Um, it was only like one $6 a month plan, but we've optimized that now for four plans. You know, it was not, wasn't much science to that back then, but now we've had to be a bit more methodical about it and have some help thinking about, you know, the, the different tiers. We're just massive opportunity in front of us. We've been, we've 
we're well funded and we've got this amazing team. So it's like we need to we need to nail this, and that's more like the attitude. Um, it's we it's weird. I think especially in especially in Australia, there's a little bit of like tall poppy syndrome, or I don't know, or uh, and so there's a supportive community in startup world. Don't get me wrong, but there's also a bit of tall poppiness out there. You see, but I think other people may not have been in the space. You might meet them for the first time or people you haven't seen in years. And it's like, you're killing it, dude. You've made it. It's like, well, you're a billionaire. Like it's not how it works really for one, two, like I'm not, not, not killing it. We haven't made anything yet. We're still in now's when you actually got to like work even harder than before. And so, you know, it's like, yeah, we're getting there. We're still climbing the mountain. I think that's kind of the attitude is like, we're still got a long way to go. And that passion and drive from day one is still there. Um, but we've got more support in terms of investors and team and obviously more money in the bank than just, you know, risking it all in our own back pocket. Probably because we've, we've, all three of us have grown up in, in the kind of that grounded family of like, you know, you work hard for the money that you earn, you put it back into rebuilding. You know, it's not about fancy showy things and nice cars and all that sort of stuff. It's like putting it into the right places and, you know, putting your money into to memories. My dad would always my dad would always talk about like, I could have been a millionaire. I could have bought this property. I could have bought that property. But instead I did this. So I sent you to a private school and I did this. And that's that's what matters to me, that my kids are happy. My kids are healthy. I don't care. Like, you know, you're my millions. And like, it'd be, it'd be really emotional. He'd talk, he'd, he'd have like theories and like very Italian sayings for everything. But I remember all of him always talking about that stuff growing up, being like, you guys are my millions. I could have done this or I could have done that, sure, but like I chose to do something else instead and like uh, I kind of respect that at the same time as well. I don't know. It's like a, an, uh, I think it's, it's not to say we're not ambitious. You know, we are absolutely got our sights set on the world, but there's an element there of like, yeah, we haven't made it yet. You know, um, when we get there, great, we'll throw a party. But until that point, we've got shit to do. And that was Anthony Zachariah from LinkedIn bio giant, Linktree. And you've been listening to From Zero with me, Adam Schwab. Our producer is Ed Gooden. Our audio producer is Darcy Thompson. For more episodes, search From Zero Podcast with me, Adam Schwab. <laughs>